to Energy Matters to You, July 24, 2019. Energy Matters to You podcast is a communication platform that features technologies and thought leaders working to advance energy efficiency. The Energy Matters to You podcast seeks to connect buyers with sellers so that practical, cost-effective energy efficiency and sustainable energy solutions continue to gain market traction. We're your hosts. My name is Leo Ryan, and on the line with me is my co-host, Ron Galuli. Ron, how are you? Good morning, Leo. I am well. How about yourself? Good. Well, we just came through a, a brutally hot weekend. How'd the Galuli family hold up? Uh, we were in Maine. It was cool for the first two days of it, and the, the winds weren't cooperating on Sunday, and it was really hot up there. But uh, I know it was hot in Natick, and there was a there was a big fire in downtown Natick, yeah, New York. Even a fire, we lost a whole block of businesses. It's uh, quite dramatic. Yeah, tragic, yeah. Uh, yeah. So they'll they'll start to rebuild now, but it's a it's a big hole in the center of town. Something else. Well, listen. Uh, so we got a great guest today. We have uh, Stephen Strong, Solar Design Associate. You check his LinkedIn profile. The guy has been there for forty five years. So, you know, I don't know if he invented solar, but he was he was near the beginning of. Uh, the commercial growth. So we got him coming on. Solar Design Associates. Uh, it's an interdisciplinary firm with professionals dedicated to the design, engineering, and implementation of renewable energy for residential, commercial, institutional, and utility clients. Steve gets out and speaks a lot, so he's got some great stories for us. But Ron, before I jump into that, uh, the, we were looking at this um, article that was on uh, Green Tech Media, and they had a piece about Tennessee Valley Authority and the plan that they've put together, their integrated resource plan. And they, they're they really being pretty aggressive about the amount of solar and storage they're going to put onto the grid. Now, this is a, a utility region that has uh, and it's over 20% coal. It's a, it's a conservative part of the country. What do you think about that, that someone like TVA is making that much of a commitment to solar and storage? Well, from... What I see on, on green tech media and other media resources and, you know, the contracts that are coming through with some of the larger utilities and discussions with Steve earlier is that utility scale, solar, wind, storage, they're at a price point now that they're beating natural gas uh, and certainly beating coal. So the tide has certainly changed and uh, there's no going back, much like uh, electric vehicles. I don't think there's any going back. Well, that's well said. And uh, you, you referenced Steve Strong. I'd, why don't we bring Steve on? Steve, welcome to Energy Matters to you. Thank you. It's great to be here. And now let's just pick up the conversation right at that point there. We're talking about a different part of the country. You know, we're in the Northeast and deal primarily with Eversource and National Grid. You've seen quite an evolution in how the utilities respond to solar. Is that true? Yes. I believe we have historically passed the tipping point where solar plus storage and companion wind plus storage in areas with favorable resources are now less expensive than all of the competing alternatives. And the utilities are recognizing this and they're voting with their feet, just as you've said. You see uh, Warren Buffett and uh, his group of utilities He's pledged uh, literally gigawatts of new wind and gigawatts of new solar accompanied by storage and pledged also simultaneously to phase out his coal plants. XL Energy has done similar things, even in Arizona, 
they opted for solar plus storage over a gas peaker plant. And as the costs of the renewables alternatives come down further, they won't be alternatives called much longer. They will be the systems of choice. Systems of choice and the, and the tipping point. So it's a, a quite a different landscape in 2019 than it was uh, 45 years ago when, when you had the idea to, to begin Solar Design Associates. Can you just take us back to those early days? Because it wasn't financial drivers that had people adopting solar. What was it that you saw in the marketplace? What got you started in this marketplace? Well, to make a long story short, I had the fortunate situation of uh, finishing engineering school with a very marketable skill set. Back in the day, uh, no one drew with computers. They drew uh, on drafting tables, and I knew how to draw. And that was a common denominator for any position. And I landed a to-die-for job on the Alaskan pipeline. That was pretty challenging. It was, you know, the, the largest construction project uh, privately ever undertaken, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but quickly, I drew weary of uh, the idea of going to the end of the earth to extract the last drop of fossil fuel. And when the boys started to falsify the welding records because they were so anxious uh, when the world price of oil went from 350 a barrel to 1250 a barrel, they had $9 of extra frosting on their cake for each barrel of oil, and they pushed accelerate the construction. And part of the welding records falsification was it took so long to do those that they decided to just use the old negatives from the prior examinations and the x-raying and uh, falsify the records. At that same time, the world's energy engineers, researchers, and scientists who had perfected photovoltaics for space-based power had agreed to come together at Cherry Hill, New Jersey for the first World Colloquium on making this life-affirming technology an Earth-based resource for future electricity supply. And the contrast of a photovoltaic cell, which is about the thickness of your fingernail, give or take, 99% made out of quartzite, which is essentially beach sand, that can make electricity virtually forever with no moving parts, no noise, no waste of byproducts, no consumption of resources, no degradation of the environment, essentially uh, indefinitely, was extremely compelling to me. My wife still <laughs> would roll her eyes when I said I fell in love with the technology, but it's true. And uh, shortly thereafter, I resigned it to die for a job. Uh, came back to Boston, enrolled in architecture school. I always wanted to be uh, in architecture school, but that was for rich kids, and my family didn't have a lot of money. I fortunately had a scholarship to engineering school, and uh, when I came back from the pipeline, I had some money. They paid us incredible amounts of money. If you could work 80 hours a week, they'd be happy to pay you. So I started Solar Design Associates not knowing any better and enrolled in architecture school. And the first projects we did were actually the early versions of net zero houses where we tried to get as much of the energy supplied from solar. And of course, that was based solidly on a foundation of aggressive energy efficiency. 
because energy efficiency is the foundation uh, for for any of these buildings. And we've graduated into doing a much larger scale net zero and energy positive buildings in all different categories, which well, is uh, very satisfying. That's so. So, Steve, you start your career at the at the ends of the earth. You know, trying to extract that, uh, that, that crude and there's a, an element of corruption and, and falsification of records. And then you, you see the light literally and the PV technology has matured to the point. And one of the things that I'm really struck by when you do some research about solar design associates is how many times your group can claim first, you know, the, the first solar powered embassy, the first Net uh, zero energy college facility, the first energy positive multi-story office building, the first Olympic village that's uh, that's all solar. Uh, is this something that that you guys chase? Do you do you chase opportunities to be the first in a new market, or is it just that um, you've got this skill set and the opportunity aligns? Well, back in the day, there weren't that many solar companies out there competing for the opportunities. Uh, we were fortunate or not fortunate, depending on how you want to look at it, because it was a hard way to make an easy living in the early days. <laughs> the interesting thing uh, is that uh, everybody's all excited about solar plus storage as if it's a new idea. When we started, all of the photovoltaic systems we did had storage because you weren't allowed to connect to the utility grid. And we were working on uh, smaller scale systems that were in remote areas while doing larger scale solar thermal and also designing uh, buildings for people. We, we are licensed architects as well as licensed engineers. And uh, it, was, it was very intriguing to see how efficient we could make a residence uh, with the technology that was then available in the late 70s. So Steve, uh, th this is Ron, you know, over the course of history here, the utility companies, obviously, they've changed their stance with regard to the acceptance of energy efficiency. You know, it's a business model for them. How have they changed in their approach to, I guess, solar storage and some of these other renewable energy uh, resources? Well, the majority of investor-owned utilities are naturally looking at their revenue stream and efficiency measures, especially if they're widely adopted as well as customer-cited renewables, both reduce the utility's revenue stream. The efficiency programs have taken hold because the regulators have found a way to help balance their revenue concerns. Behind the meat of solar has grown rapidly, and the utilities are concerned uh, that it's eroding their revenue stream, and they also have some legitimate concerns about unbalancing the grid, but storage is going to solve all of those in short order. And uh, so let's continue on that theme there, Steve. So solar storing, uh, solving some of those pro problems in short order. We, we're, we have a situation where there's an established energy grid. We've got we got producers in the marketplace. We got transmission distribution. We have consumers, and we have this new class called prosumers. And it's not easy to keep all these pieces functioning, keep the utilities in business. Right? That's a, that's an important component. We can't have them go out of business because uh, our cooling and heating depends upon their 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 ability to stay in business. 
Where do you see the biggest roadblocks or challenges in integrating these newer technologies, the solar and storage in particular, with the existing grid? Well, the utility grid of the future is going to be much different than the utility grid of the past. And the traditional utility business model is broken. I believe many of the utilities understand this. They're just caught like a deer in the headlights about what to do. Some have circled the wagons and tried to basically fend off the opportunities for their ratepayers to enact energy efficiency measures and to add on-site uh, generation. Others uh, have embraced as much as they can these options because they understand that they will win the game. Economics are going to be the driver that changes everything. And efficiency measures are already very cost-effective. Of course, there's a hierarchy. Some are less expensive, low-hanging fruit. Others are more costly. But if you dollar-cost average them, they're still better than paying a lifetime of utility bills. If you look at, for example, Green Mountain Power in Vermont happens to be headed by a woman. I think that's significant. Some people would agree. She has publicly acknowledged that the utility business model is broken and has embraced integrating renewables in a manner that they can manage. It might be slower than advocates might like, uh, but it's a lot faster than naysayers would like to see. And it takes courage because there's a lot of folks who think that uh, the status quo is just fine. So we, we live in an age of transition, and it's always uh, an interesting time. Steve, what about, I know, for example, National Grid has done their their own solar installations on the grid, either at facilities in parking lots or on rooftop, and I know they have some ground-mounted. Are, are those somewhat controversial in, in the fact that they're earning a return on those when, you know, uh, private developers obviously can do the same thing? You know, I, I think the justification was they wanted to see how it would integrate with the, the existing grid and operate? Well, truth be known, National Grid is a client of ours. Uh, we were asked to power their headquarters, in, in the Northeast headquarters in, in Waltham with solar on the roof of their facility. We helped them to field the multi-megawatt facility next to the painted gas tanks uh, going south out of Boston on the I-93 corridor. And we are helping them integrate storage and my belief, uh, if you can if you can see above the challenges that immediately are before us, we need all of the utilities to participate in renewables revolution. We need all of the above: customer sited solar and utility scale solar. We're doing utility scale solar. We're doing customer sited solar. We're working on both parts of the equation, and. Ultimately, the utilities have to be a part of the solution. And so I agree and support utilities fielding solar. In fact, we have to have it. What I would like to see is that they are more receptive to customer-sided solar. And in many cases, uh, they're turning around. Some cases, uh, you know, it's going to take a while. So, Steve, we've had a chance to talk about 
you know, different utilities you mentioned TVA and specifically here at National Grid and talk about the, the range of projects that Solar Design Associates has been in, involved in. Can you give us any kind of visibility forward about what, uh, what has Solar Design Associates prioritized for themselves? Where are the, the areas that you're going to be focusing on in either new service development or, or, or business development expansion? Going back to our roots, uh, when I started as a one-man shop, uh, I was in architecture school at the time, and I was intrigued by the opportunity or the challenge to make buildings sufficiently energy efficient that they could be completely powered by the renewable resources on site. And three of the principals here at Solar Design have uh, architectural background. And so we in very much enjoy working on net zero and energy positive projects. And we'll continue to do that because that market is growing. And uh, we have a very good position in that market because most solar companies can't stand a three-year sales cycle. They want to sell hardware. We're selling design and engineering services. And if they try and support Architects doing a net zero or energy positive building, in many cases, they will be not allowed to bid on the project as it goes to construction. And so we have a unique window into that very rapidly growing field, and it's intriguing. We're working all over the country and outside the country on net zero projects, larger in scale as we go along. And including entire universities, uh, King Abdul University of Science and Technology in Saudi Arabia is powered by solar. Your, the experience that you and Solar Design Associates have in being the first in so many marketplaces, so many applications, your knowledge of uh, the, uh, the role of the utility in this is, is critically important. And so we're we're at a stage where the energy grid is transforming rapidly. There's there's pockets that need to be educated. They need to be brought up to speed about what has been done historically and what can be done. And folks like you and your team are critical in providing that education. So you know you're you're doing a great service in the transformation of the energy grid. Well, that that's kind of you. We happen to be at the right place at the right time, and it's really exhilarating to see the progress as it's happening and accelerating you know in the in the early days i was hoping that we would see the tipping point where renewables would be the most cost effective alternative because the compelling force of economic parity is really going to change things here the utility business model is evolving the utilities are pledging to get involved with renewables and are signing contracts to that end as we speak. And so we're, we're in a whole new chapter of this technology evolution. And it's, it's thrilling and invigorating to be involved and on the front lines. Yeah, that, that's well said. And another thing that I want to mention about Solar Design Associates is while we talk about the engineering challenges and the equipment changes, some of the, the policy-oriented issues that can accelerate or dampen the growth of a technology are, are key. 
and your team, Haskell Whirlin in particular, have been really, really good at staying in front of that and educating legislators and uh, and helping to craft policies that make sense for the advancement of, of clean energy. So again, your, your team should be congratulated for that and Haskell Whirlin in particular. Well, Haskell has a passion for working what is considered by most folks very challenging environment of moving policy forward because the laggards are always trying to maintain the status quo with the idea if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, but in fact, uh, things are changing very rapidly now as the utilities are voting with their feet, with their boards of directors, and with their shareholders to invest in solar and wind with storage as a priority because it is most cost-effective. I know we've said that several times, but it's so important to point out this transition tipping point because it's a whole new ballgame going forward. And things are going to change rapidly from here. And the policy folks are actually going to be bringing up the rear. They're going to be reworking policy to fit where the industry is going. Well, Steve, uh, Solar Design Associates will not be bringing up the rear. They've been first in so many measures. So on behalf of uh, Ron Gluey and myself, I want to thank you for for representing Solar Design Associates for the work you've done and for being part of uh, Energy Matters to you. So Stephen Strong, Solar Design Associates, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for the opportunity, gentlemen. All right. Well done. And uh, Ron, as is always the case, we've exceeded our 20-minute limit here because it's good stuff to talk about. But uh, Ron, before we sign off today, uh, any any conferences in the energy space that uh, our folks uh, should pay attention to? Well, f- fittingly, following this discussion, uh, Green Tech Media has the New England Solar and Storage Forum, and that's in October in Boston. That that is actually sold out. Wow! In case you're interested in that and can't attend that, the Association of Energy Engineers just announced their uh, program year. Uh, upcoming program year. In September, they're going to feature energy storage and demand response, as well as microgrids. In in October, electric vehicles will be featured. So a lot of good stuff. Hey, Ron, before we sign off, any um, guests coming up that uh, we want to give a shout out to? Uh, Next month, I know we have Stephen Thomas from Asia Focus. I think that's later in the month. The the folks from Kendall Investments will be on. There's work to be done. Go make a difference. Thanks for being part of uh, Energy Matters to you.